it's it's integral and i think in the direction that we're going today it is um it is it is absolutely necessary for organizations to remain viable um, across a very wide spectrum of external stakeholders. And, and especially as it relates to what we're talking about today, and that's inclusion. And now what we talk about is representation matters. Uh, I know that I specifically have an example with the previous employer where one, once I ended up in the role that I was in, um, I had someone at one of our um, remote locations um, simply walk up to me and say that, literally said, we're proud of you. Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Victor Patterson. We discuss the role of career development and growth in creating an inclusive and equitable workplace. Additionally, we delve into the transformative evolution of employee resource groups and how organisations can harness their power to drive business success. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell, and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Victor. Hello. So glad to speak with you today. I'm really excited. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's kick things off. Tell our listeners a little bit more about you and where you are today. So certainly, uh, my name is Victor Patterson. I have been a practicing HR leader for over 20 years now, and in doing so, I've been actively involved in diversity, equity, inclusion, and advancing cultures through integrating people with differences and different backgrounds. Uh, I am deeply passionate about the intersection of elevating people's engagement, elevating people's talent but also combining that with the business strategy. And so generally uh, my secret sauce is elevating the level of engagement through people while also making sure that businesses either turn around, achieve or succeed their performance objectives. And in doing so, creating an inclusive environment where everyone's voice is able to be heard. Oh. We're not doing network and, and things that we've talked about uh, I am. I enjoy spending time with family, and as you're able to see with my background, I'm an avid and passionate golf fan and golfer. <laughs> Lovely. I mean, for those who um, aren't watching, um, Victor is sitting behind a beautiful, <laughs> greener than green golf course, and you can see the bright blue, clear, crystal clear ocean through the treetops in the back, in the far back. It looks amazing, it's magnificent. I'm yeah. actually jealous. It does make me want to actually go golfing and I don't <laughs> golf. <laughs> Thank you. So uh. um, it's great, like, it, it's great to hear. I like, I like the way that you explain your role as, as a DEI leader um, mm -hmm. and, and your secret source. So mm -hmm. we know that DEI is kind of a moral imperative like that's something that, that we hear very often it's just the right thing to do um but how can we how can we move from that and make it more a business imperative 
what do you think we need to do? What what needs to happen? It's an excellent question. And I, I think the idea that it's a moral imperative is probably a false idea. When we think about business um, in many cases, and there are very rare ones, the purpose of business is to make sure that it is profitable year over year. And so when we look at the world today and how it has evolved, uh, including the fact that people of different backgrounds, cultures, ethnicities, and races are all contributing to the global domestic, uh, the global impact of business, it really is a business imperative. And so I think the idea that it is a moral imperative is probably something that we should shove to the side slightly and really begin talking about it as a business imperative. And when we understand that, what we realize is that the marketplace externally is actually our employee base internally. So for you, um, what steps have, have you seen to be the most effective in in creating and making this 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 culture of inclusivity um, and diversity a key business imperative? Excellent question. I think the, the few things that uh, immediately come to mind, and first and foremost, it's how I've been able to position myself. And that has been as a business professional who happens to be leading human resources. And so understanding the language of business and being able to collaborate with those individuals who are primarily responsible for moving those functional areas of the business units along, um, that's given me the credibility to have conversations with them about what's uh, symmetrical on the business side, but maybe asymmetrical and relative to people. The other thing that I think is critically important here is making sure that um, human resources, or in this case, myself and, and even DEI leaders, um, are speaking the same language on what matters most, what skills, what competencies are of value in the organization. And so once I've done that and found the marriage between those two, it's empowered me or I've been empowered to influence how the areas within my responsibility are ultimately being shaped. And, and I talk about the impact of inclusion uh, as a byproduct and partner to diversity as a business imperative. And so when, when I'm in those conversations around people, um, if we're not representative and reflective, if we have a homogenous perspective versus one that is far more diverse, then I've been able to, to really move and shake the chess pieces, if you will. Um, and ultimately at the end of the day, whether that's a quarter, uh, halfway through the year or annually, I've been able to impact the way our organizations look aesthetically, but also the performance impact of that change or that influence is not debatable. It's clearly evidenced. Mm, what's one of the what's one of the challenges that you face? Because I mean, you explain it, and it sounds. It sounds so simple and not to say that it, it is is kind of plain sailing because I know there definitely was challenges. So I'm curious for you, how did you how did you reach that point where where you're able to to get success? It's uh, it's interesting. I, for as far back as I can recall, I've never imposed DEI as a imperative 
program. And what I've found through the roles, levels of leadership that I've had is that there's a great deal of angst when DEI is viewed as a program and it's nudged against those who may view the initiative as being exclusive to them. So again, when we talk about what is the common language of that relationship, that moment in time, which is really advancing the business forward, I think probably the foundation to my success has been earning the credibility and the right to have a conversations with people that don't look like me or may feel a bit of angst because DEI is often talked about as a program. And so when I'm able to sit at the table and have those conversations, um, do some educating, do some coaching, um, incorporate data that may support the direction that I'm trying to lead those leaders, and then ultimately do and, and move in a direction um, similar to what I talked about a moment ago, uh, I think where we ultimately see a win-win is the performance of that organization or that business unit is moving forward. At the same time, we've revealed that there are people from different backgrounds who are equally engaged, equally capable, and perfectly positioned to deliver sustainable solutions over a longer period of time. But it's not easy. It is not. It is not easy. So I think I, I think your point is is spot on. Um, it's it's not one conversation. Um, oftentimes, you take the pushback, um, you absorb the pushback. But then you find a different way to communicate your message with the idea of maybe taking small bites, but the bites have to be taken within a defined period of time because business isn't going to wait for everybody to come along perfectly on the journey. Mm. And talking about kind of like not everyone's going to wait for for that kind of perfect, perfect moment to come along. What would you, what's your opinion on kind of per personal development, career development and growth towards advancing these equitable and inclusive cultures? Like what role do, do they play? I, I think it's critically important. Um, it's, it's integral. And I think in the direction that we're going today, it is, um, it is, it is absolutely necessary for organizations to remain viable um, across a very wide spectrum of external stakeholders. And, and especially as it relates to what we're talking about today, and that's inclusion. And now what we talk about is representation matters. Uh, I know that I specifically have an example with the previous employer where one, once I ended up in the role that I was in, um, I had someone at one of our um, remote locations um, simply walk up to me and say that, literally said, we're proud of you. And I didn't understand what it meant at the time, but as that moment in that, in that environment ended for me, at least that store, um, and I was able to reflect on that comment, I clearly understood what that meant. And as I was able to make some of the adjustments from a leadership standpoint that I did, I also saw an interest from those below 
become more and more interested in, in, in being promoted, being a part of the business that we were in. And so, I, again, I think that the career development, um, providing people with er experiential opportunities, um, when you have these, these unique um, exposure opportunities where, where individuals are pulled aside to really solve a unique opportunity, um, we need to make sure that those are diverse and representative of, of a broader stakeholder and a marketplace as well. All of this factors into um, talent growth, career development, and ultimately succession planning. And so succession planning is critical in this area uh, and that it literally is the step in the stair ladder to make making sure that you have a diverse and representative um, pipeline of talent for a period um, that in many cases should far exceed some of us that are in those leadership positions. Mm, so would you say that succession planning is something that is it's, it's a key component when you're building out any form of like business strategy with especially with DEI with with really any particular when you're looking at growing your business and being successful yeah i do i, I think that succession planning um is part of a broader and very intentional hr strategy is critically important and that in many cases starts with um, your talent acquisition strategy and once you're inside then it really reverts to your talent management strategy and, and talent management and succession planning should be one in the same, or at least locked at the hip, if you will. Um, and, and there are ways to make sure that you're moving in the direction that ultimately benefits the organization in the present and for the future, uh, and ensuring that um, you know your leadership looks like your consumer base, your marketplace. And mm. um, so talking a little bit more in terms of the inclusion aspects of things, Mm -hmm. um employee resource groups we know there's a lot that have been popping up in a number of organizations some have always had them um yeah. others not so much and they've recently now come about which is all good and i i think employee resource groups are amazing um mm -hmm. however how do we how do we kind of ensure that these ERGs aren't just simply there for a visual and yeah. aspect for the business. Do you know what I mean? Like, how can we how can we ensure that the ERGs are actually an imperative business resource? It's a it's a it's a really 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 good question, and and I think um, in in part of your statement, we know that today that there are organizations that have had the presence of these groups long enough that they started as employee resource groups and have matured to business resource groups. Um, how do we go about ensuring that their value transitions to business resource groups? I think that you have to have the right executive sponsor. Um, I think that you have to have the right senior executive um, leader and sponsor as well. Um, it's important that from the C-suite down, that everyone understands um, the purpose, the depth, and the, and the value of an employee resource group. 
not to not just to the obvious, which I think oftentimes is retention. It's the opportunity for people with like minds and like interests to come together. However, often organizations allow that to happen, but also to understand and HR needs to be a part of this that employee resource groups and their evolution to business resource groups can be a part of a talent management or talent development process, right? And so part of that is making sure that, um, that, that, their, that their understanding of business and the environment is growing as a group. And that means being able to give presentations to the group from senior leadership. But it also means that whenever there are unique opportunities in a business is having to pivot on its strategy or they're looking to do market segmentation on whatever that may be, that they know that they have a critical resource right inside of their doors and that resource is the employee resource group. And so using or leveraging those employees to really validate, um, add a unique component to whatever organization is working on, but also being able to fuel their growth by kind of debriefing the quarterly um, investor statement, if you will, or, or talking strategically about what this means and how it impacts this market and so on and so forth. Um, when you increase the competency level of that unique group, then you do begin to transition them from, uh, from an employee resource group to a business resource group, giving them all of the opportunities that are at least traditionally afforded to kind of those one-on-one -on -one opportunities. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I think I, that all sounds amazing. And I think it's, it's, it's easier said than done, but it is it is it's a done that you can do if that makes sense mm -hmm. um, with the right if with the right intentions and if if you take the time out and really knuckle down and build out everything that, that you said, um, it will create an employee resource group that actually it does what it says on the tin, right? Um, yeah. And it is a resource not just for the employees but for the business overall. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, at the end of the day, the resource groups are just the congregation of employees from different areas of that business. And so um, the idea that they wouldn't be of value in a different way um, seemingly is a miss uh, for, for me. But, but you're right. It has to be conscious. Um, it has to be very, very intentional. Uh, it has to be purposeful and it has to be consistent. Oh, great. Well, um, what would you say is some of the, because I mean, HR, HR partners and um, DEI leaders, it's a lot to do um, for one department. And we know that DEI is, mm -hmm. is always very closely linked to HR. And um, But what would you say are, really key or top three companies that, that you've partnered with that has helped enable you to create and reach your DEI goals? Yeah, I'm going to, that's a really, really good question. And one of my answers is going to be very unique in that. It oh, I is, like unique. 
Yeah, it's that's why I ask this question because I'm always interested to hear because I feel it's like there's, there's, it's not it's not just uh, DEI is, is there's a lot to do. Do you know what I mean? So you can't yeah. simply expect it all to just come from the organization internally. I, I, I would say when I think about the organizations that have allowed me to do it well, um, the two organizations that I'm most proud of would be um, Target. Um, Target was deeply, deeply intentional. And for as much as that started at its headquarters, the work that was done, and I was part of it in the field and our, obviously in the Target store locations to make sure that we truly were representative of the customers that were paying for products that, that we were selling. Um, that that was amazing. And and I tip my hat to leadership. I tip my hat to my business partners uh, because this occurred at a period of transition when when it was really about um, diversity. And and I don't think equity and inclusion were a part of of the letters there. So it was it was an education, but there was an intentionality, um, an expectation a way to talk about progress in the form of measurement. And ultimately we saw the results quite often. So I would say Target. The other organization that uh, I would leverage is uh, Home Depot. And specifically my time being in the field. And, and again, my business partners were amazing because what we did is we talked as much about how our business was succeeding or it wasn't. And then there came a point in time where we really talked about people. And as I talked about earlier, the need to educate beyond the comfort level. Um, those, and, and we talked, you talked, mentioned it earlier, how it wasn't easy and it wasn't. They were deeply uncomfortable. Um, they were certainly a type personalities. They were very tenured in their role and they were open and 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 sometimes unpolished in how they communicated their disdain or disagreement but ultimately over time um, there were people that uh, the, the the succession planning pipeline just grew and grew and the business ultimately succeeded and i think through that there was a cultural competence increase for those individuals who were early on so adamant about pushing against what we were trying to do. Mm. So I think those would be the two companies. The unique answer to that would be, I served as president of the uh, Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul chapter of the National Black MBA for a period um, when I lived in Minnesota. And as a community, as a business community, uh, a number of large uh, Fortune 500 companies, both domestic and international, are headquartered there. And, and they were all in pursuit of adding professionals of color into their employee and leadership levels. And so I was um, kind of at the center of what their strategy was and and helping validate that the Twin Cities community would be one where they could thrive professionally and personally. And so to see those organizations 
rally around um, one chapter and could be viewed as a community employee resource group and leverage what we had to ultimately add vitality and strength and, and everything good uh, about diversity to, to their employee ranks um, was, a, was another phenomenal opportunity. And there were corporations that would say, Victor, can you take this person to lunch or can you take their family to dinner? And, and we'll support that. But can you talk to them about what it's like living here? Because we think that we sold them on the organization. So that collaboration and partnership was, was a unique one that, uh, that allowed a number of corporations, quite honestly, to add to, to their ranks. Uh, people qualified professionals of color uh, to the Twin Cities. Oh, lovely. No, I think that well, everything you just said is amazing. I mean, I don't live in the, the US, so I'm. we don't have a Target, we don't have a Home Depot, um, but we do have similar, similar stores. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought what I found quite interesting is, is when you talked about the, your experience at, at Home Depot, um, I'm interested to hear what, what do you think was a turning point for those individuals that were, were given quite a bit of pushback um, on what you were doing? That's a, that's an excellent question. Um, and let me, it's, it's, it's a simple answer. So let me make sure I really respond to that question. It was first and foremost, it was trusting me and I had to earn that trust. And there were certainly some things that I did, um, leading up to that moment to, to do that. But I led um, hire of someone, um, an ethnically diverse male, who in about six months had really proven adept at understanding the business, engaging people, and then moving an area that had been viewed as challenging forward. And so what that did was it put my business partners back into the seat of their chair, if you will. Mm -hmm. They were no longer on the front. And I used that to springboard that. Uh, the other piece of that was being able to articulate the skills and competencies of the person and why I was a fan or at least led the selection of that person. And then relating that to my observation of specific individuals, those ethnically diverse individuals who actually were in our business mm -hmm. and getting those individuals to support how we were going to develop these individuals going forward. And so when we started traveling together or we, or we would travel separately, they were now seeing what was the common language of talent and growth. And in some cases, they were seeing more from people that they had just by habit otherwise selected. And so that really became the platform um, along with me collaborating with them, right? And realizing that we're moving in the same direction that ultimately allowed us to go from 
uh, kind of a, a succession plan that was less than 5% diverse to a succession plan that was 28% diverse. And that included women as well. So I think that was it. Um, you know, there's certainly other things, but but the common language around um, skills, competencies, and performance, and that it didn't have to look the way it had always looked to those individuals, really began to um, break the ice, if you will. It certainly led to deeper conversations that helped them, as I had mentioned earlier, become more culturally competent. And, and in that case, at the end of the day, the end goal was to be successful in, in the operating plan and the business strategy, but we had groups of people that were equally capable of doing that that didn't look like um, yesterday's group, if you will. That sounds amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that example a little bit there because I think it, for me, what I take away from that is that if you're able to present a success that's in a different packaging, yep. it's it it's easier for people to then be able to explain and un, like understand what you're where you're coming from in terms of the way that we're working needs to change, and this is why it's going to be a good thing for us. Um, mm-hmm. And being able to present them with somebody who has been successful with the skills and competencies um, that you can then kind of see, well, this person, look how successful he has become. These are the things that the skills and competence he has. These other individuals that are already working for us have those skills and competencies. They're just missing this, this and this, which we can help them with. So why not do that? Um, Yeah. Natasha, you're, you're, you're spot on. You know, the other thing that I would say, and it's not an absolute, but I think it's important. Um, I do think that it's important for HR functions to be as diverse as we're ultimately expecting the organization to be. And that's on a relative scale because oftentimes your HR team or department is really a percentage of the total employee base. But I do believe that it is important for that representation to exist and also that uh, that different that different voice to exist, if you will. And the reason for that is, from my experience, we know that functional leaders are very good in the space that they have expertise in. Um, Right, wrong, or indifferent, they rely on human resources to be the subject matter expert in people. And so when it comes to that, and when it comes to a marketplace in a world that is evolving, and it's evolving in very obvious and maybe less obvious ways that HR has to be uh, at the forefront. Um, We have to be courageous. We have to be strategic. Um, We have to be as heightened and adept at understanding the business environment externally as we're supposed to internally. And we have to be able to educate and influence so the organizations that we support are successful um, in the moment, but that their brand and positioning remains relevant even beyond that. 
That is so very important. I probably could make a bet that in some cases, the examples that I shared with you today may not have happened if I had not been in the position and in the role that I was in. We could debate it either way, but certainly my belief is that being in that seat and having that voice and understanding business and be, being viewed and earning the credibility and respect ultimately led me to do some things that I view as successes in the roles that I've had. Oh, lovely. And I think it goes to show that that's, it makes all the difference having the the right voices in the room and having different voices in the room um, because you're able to find a lot more solutions that way, I think. Um, and I agree. I think we know that HR... Um, whilst we talk about HR and DEI kind of them being hand in hand, it's it's another thing, it's another whole nother discussion in talking about the diversity of HR in itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's important that there is, um, and there are leaders like yourself that are in the room that have earned the, the credibility to be able to, to speak on these matters um, mm -hmm. and can then help to create the much needed change um, which is going to be better for, for everyone and it will create a working environment that everyone can feel like they, they can thrive in. Looking forward, I know I've, got, I've asked you to talk about going back, <laughs> you reviewing back. So I'm, I'm interested for you going, when you look about the future with DEI, what are you, what do you hope for? What, what improvements would you like to see? I would like to see that in the area, I talk about functional leaders, whether it's your marketing, your finance, um, your supply chain, whatever, your legal, whatever those functional areas are, um, I would like to see leadership have a baseline awareness and cultural competency such that when they are in collaboration with the DEI department or when they are in collaboration with human resources and they're ultimately finalizing their three-year strategy and, and really syncing their operational plans year over year, that they are incorporating the need, the understanding, the commitment to create an inclusive organization and not solely relying on HR to be a part of that. And, and so I'm hopeful, but that's the change that I would like to see. Um, you know, I would also like to make sure, what I would also like to see that we continue to progress and have representation, um, not just for purposes of that, but, but for purposes of delivering value. And that is the common language of business. And so that we're able to articulate the work that we did over here created this type of value over there. And it could be external, it could be tangible to a scorecard, it could be retaining the workforce. There is There are so many ways that diversity adds vitality and value to this thing that we call business. Um, I want to see it talked about in that way. 
and not viewed as a program that creates angst and anxiety and disdain in some cases. Mm. Oh, well, thank you so much, Victor. This conversation has been so lovely. Um, Thanks for all your your insights today. I've really enjoyed it. For anyone who is listening, if they want to reach out, connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah, certainly. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, It's uh, Victor Patterson, MBA, and uh, that's probably the best way. I know that you have such a following through uh, LinkedIn, and and I just want to commend you for the work that you're doing, Natasha. This is amazing. Um, you're certainly reaching across uh, the pond as as we know it, and and it's a it's a global voice. It's a it's a global platform that you're creating, and everybody will benefit from doing just a little bit more, being conscious and intentional about it. So thank you for. Um, your leadership uh, and your inspiration as well and giving me the opportunity to visit with you and your listeners today oh so lovely thank you so much victor oh, i really appreciate that that that, that makes me emotional um <laughs> <laughs> this is why i did this work um honestly like yeah i created the podcast for this very reason is to to bring mm-hmm. leaders like yourself um on the show and showcase and share your insights and also your journey and perspectives because it is important um i think we we need to have more and more conversations like this um, mm-hmm. and we it also hopefully listening to this helps give others the power the the that extra push to keep on going because it's a Correct. lot to do um, and i think the more and more you listen to more people that are talking about what they're doing makes you feel that actually you can you can continue doing it too correct correct great excellent well i wish you all the best in the future victor and i look forward to speaking to you again soon likewise look forward to it myself thank you